Thank you, Steve. Okay, now I have to assume that I am on, that we do have the Zoom or the uh, YouTube working because I believe that it basically just kind of covers just this spot. So for all those that are out there watching us, for the record, just want to let, let you know that it's good that you are because of a packed auditorium. Don't know if there would be any seats left for to the contrary, but we're happy to have everybody here that we do have. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and we're going to look at, again, as I mentioned earlier, chapters 17 through 20 tonight in Numbers. You can be turning there. But before we, uh, before we get into the text, as we continue this chronological study that we're doing, let's review. So the story of the Israelites starts with God's promise to Abraham of a land, a nation, and a seed. God delivers them uh, 603,550 men came out of Egypt, which is an estimated 3 million people as one big band of people. They left Egypt. uh, That was the beginning of their pilgrimage to the land that God promised. And for two years, they remained in Sinai. He gives them a law there in Sinai, and that makes them a nation. The law creates a priesthood, and they are instructed on how to approach God. The Israelites have the first Passover in Egypt. The second is in Sinai. And the third Passover does not occur until they cross over the Jordan. In the second year... God leads them to Kadesh Barnea, which is near the promised land. It happens to be to the southwest of the promised land. And uh, it is, we'll get to this in the study, it's in a location where uh, the promised land would basically be that they could kind of just go right up from there. But instead, they go to the south, they meander around, and they actually come into the to Canaan from the east. Okay, so they're in Kadesh Barnea. Moses sends 12 spies into the land. They all confirm it is what God had said it was. It's a land of milk and honey. However, only two, who are the two? Joshua and Caleb, Caleb, give a good report and say that God, uh, that with God, they can take the land. So what, what tribes are these two gentlemen from? Caleb is from which tribe? Judah. Judah. And what is significant about the tribe of Judah? It's the line of Christ. Joshua is from what tribe? Anybody know? Ephraim. What, if anything, is significant about Ephraim is that he is the second son to Joseph. And you think, oh, well, he's just the second son. But if you recall, Jacob did, when he blessed Joseph's sons, he did indicate that he was going to be the prominent 
tribe of the two sons. Joshua and Caleb try to calm the people and tell them to trust God. But the other ten give a bad report. They say that, yes, it's all that God said it would be, but we cannot take the land. So they don't have faith. The people murmured in their tents all night and agreed with the ten spies to not go up and take the land. They said they would die in the wilderness. Therefore, God's sentence to them for their unbelief and their fear is uh, that that's what they will get. They will die in the wilderness. So no one over 20 will go into the land, and instead they will wander for 40 years. And those 40 years was based on one year for each of the 40 days that the spies were in the land. God says only Joshua and Caleb will enter the promised land. So the last class was on chapter 15 and 16. So let's do a quick review. Chapter 15 was about offerings. Many times God says, when you come into the land, don't forget about me. He's talking to the younger generation. Why is that? They're the only ones that are going to go into the land. Um, The others will die in the wilderness. So God instructs them to use a tassel or fringe to remind them not to forget God. And it's a way that they would teach or remind the younger generation as well about God. Then in chapter 16 is about Korah's rebellion. The Kohathites are from the tribe of Levi. They are responsible for carrying the items of the tabernacle. And they dishonor God, complaining that Moses and Aaron have taken the important position or positions. God gave them these positions, and they are a huge burden and responsibility. God causes Korah and his family to be swallowed up in the earth. And then 250 others of the rebellion are also consumed by fire. And finally, the very next day after all of this happens, they all murmur again. And in his anger, God begins to consume them all. But Moses and Hazaren make atonement for them. And uh, before he does, 14,700 people die from the plague sent from God. Okay, now we can move into chapter 17. Before we read, what is the job of a priest? Well, the, uh, let's, let's look at it this way. There's, there's prophets and there's priests. So what is the difference? What is, what is it that a priest does versus a prophet? If the priest takes the people to God, the prophets bring God to the people, right? Okay. So just like when Aaron made an atonement for the people in chapter 16, he made that atonement basically to bring them to God because God can't have sin, right? So, so here Moses, or excuse me, Aaron is actually practicing this. So when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the law, God told him to make Aaron, the priest, 
That's in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. And in Numbers chapter 3, verse 3, God, God anoints Aaron's sons to also be priests. That's, again, Numbers chapter 3, verse 3. And then in Numbers chapter 3, verses 5 through 39, God instructs Moses that the tribe of Levi is responsible for the tabernacle and how they will minister and serve Aaron. Okay? So we have those three things all basically directed towards Aaron. Therefore, though they complain to Moses and Aaron, their complaint is against God because God is the one that set them up. So in the next few chapters, God continues to confirm Aaron as the priest, set the priests in the tribe of Levi apart and unique among the nation, and emphasize the critical duty of the priesthood to keep the nation pure. So let's read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So God speaks to Moses because of the recent rebellion about Aaron and who should be priests. God is going to settle this with an undisputable proof of his choice for the priests. And also notice in verse 4 that God instructs Moses to enter the tabernacle to put the rods there because only the priests are supposed to go in to the tabernacle. But, but Moses is given specific instruction by God. So read, let's read verses 6 through 9 now. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece, for each leader according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. So I'm curious, have you ever taken a, a green rod or a, a, a branch and you put it in water, and maybe after several days it gets a little fuzz on the bottom of it, like it might want to grow? Well, my mom recently took some trimmings off her hedge and she stuck them in, in the uh, dirt where she needed another plant and uh, put it there so that they would grow. 
She's got a green thumb, so they're probably going to grow for her. So uh, we'll see. But there's a couple examples. But this miracle is so much more than that. I mean, think about it. This has buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds. And this is, this is all from overnight in a tent. So first of all, it's dark out. You know, the sun's not out, but it's even in a tent. So it's, it's even covered. So this is clearly a, a miracle. Uh, good point. Yes, it's not wasn't anything fresh. That's a good point. It didn't rain on it either. Yes, correct. Okay. So God goes way beyond to make certain that there is no doubt that he chose Aaron. And the tribe of Levi ultimately is given the priestly responsibilities. So let's read verses 10 through 11 now. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So God, again, emphasizes the reason for this is the rebels and the murmuring. Now let's read, let's continue through the rest of the chapter, verses 12 through 13. Excuse me, yes, verses 12 through 13. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish. We all perish. Whoever, can, whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? So why were they dying? Well, they, they have rebelled, and they continue to murmur and complain. Also, they were disobedient. They did not have faith in God to give them the the land. And just before this, in chapter 16, the whole reason for God to do this is between Korah's rebellion and the plague, around 15,000 people died. So God said they would die, and they are beginning to understand they were not faithful, and they are dying. Okay? So let's move into... Yes? Exactly. Gene says, Gene says that you don't have to fear uh, this God. You just need to obey him. Yes, go ahead. That's it. Okay. So chapter, chapter 18. So Aaron and the tribe of Levi have been given this duty, but it's a serious responsibility. So we're going to read, uh, we're not going to read all of this chapter, but we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 7. Let's start there. And this is about the duties of the Levites. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the article lest they die. 
they and you also. Where am I going through? I said through seven. Okay. Uh, they shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you, and you shall attend the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar. And there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give you... I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And let's, let's continue right on through verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Aaron. Uh, now this is about the offerings for support of the priests. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Here I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings. All the holy gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering, and every sin offering, and every trespass offering, which they render to me, shall be most holy for you and your sons." In, the, in a most holy place you shall eat it, every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. So, uh, a lot of times we think that the sacrifices were all just, they'd bring these sacrifices in and they'd just burn it all up. And it's, it all goes to God, basically, through, through being burnt up. Well, they're not all burned up. And, and not even the whole animal is burned up. So, Mostly only a portion of the sacrifice gets burned and the rest goes to the Levites. A, a heave offering that it mentions here is basically a gift to the priest. Uh, it, it, it's, it's one that is intended for the priest. And, and the reason we, we think that it's a heave is to heave is to, to hand the sacrifice up to God. Okay? And this was introduced in uh, Leviticus chapter 7, verse 32 through 33. Now let's skip to verses 19 and 20. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord, with you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. So God tells Aaron, he has given the sacrifices to the priests and the tribe of Levi. They're not going to have any territory in the land of Canaan. And without the territory, 
That means that they're not going to be able to have, be able to grow their own grain. They're not going to be able to have any livestock to raise any animals for food. So they're at a disadvantage without having their own territory, or having their own land. But God is providing for them. So the Levites are given over to God says that he will be their portion. They have complete dependence on God. Let's now skip down to 25 and 26. Behold, I have given the children of Levi, oh, excuse me, 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. So, they will have basically a tithe of the tithe, the priests do, okay? So the tribe of Levi gives, or actually the tribe of Levi, they give uh, a tenth from what they get from these sacrifices. Tithing was introduced in Leviticus, uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, and also chapter 27, verses 30 33. Also, Jesus talks about, talks about a tithe. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Christ tells the scribes and the Pharisees that they, uh, that they need to tithe, but that they forgot the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He says in Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to leave and not to leave the other undone. So here's a question for you. Should we tithe today? Thank you. No, the answer is no. So a lot of people would say, but, but Christ just talked about the scribes and Pharisees to tithe. What's, the, what's that all about? Well, Christ was under the old law, and he was teaching them while they were all under the old law. He was not a Christian. He's not like us. He's not in the Christian age. So he spoke to those under the old law, and we are set aside as we are to set aside as we've prospered. Okay, that's the difference. The t- okay, good, good point. So, so that isn't that clearly that isn't making an excuse as to we give less, but we should be giving more. That's a good point. And it, and it was the, the attitude that the scribes and the Pharisees had wrong, right? Thank you for that, Cheryl. So um, 
Okay, so the tithe was supposed to take care of the Levites. And here's another thing for us. There's no longer a tribe of Levi for us to take care of through a So that's another reason. So uh, many false religions would like to check your income. And if you don't tithe, you're not in good standing. And that's not scriptural. Okay? So, okay, with that, let's go ahead and move on to chapter 19. Now, we're not going to do any reading of chapter 19. Chapter 19, numbers, is, numbers can be like Leviticus. If you know, if you try to do a um, read through the Bible and you get to Leviticus, that's where a lot of people end up stopping their program. <laughs> because it's just about one law after another law after another law. So, um, so Numbers does this from every now and then. Some chapters kind of skip into that kind of uh, theme. And it can, it's like reading uh, details about the law. This is so chapter 19 is, is like this. So that's why we're going to skip it. No, we're we, just in the interest of time. We, we, we need to continue to move on. But in verses 1 through 10, we have this ordinance of the red heifer. Now, of course, a heifer is a young female cow that is not born a calf. This red heifer could not have had any blemish or defect. And what this heifer was used for, it was used as a cleansing element. So its ashes mixed with water uh, were used for purification for any contact with a dead human body and even bones. So there's a lot in chapter 19 about these different cases. If you encounter a, a, a body in your tent, if someone dies in your tent, if you encounter someone that was by the sword, there's all of these different cases of how you, how you would be unclean if you, if you had that contact, okay? And so this red heifer is important to uh, hide the means for purification. And that will bring us to chapter 20. And I think we're doing actually very good on time. So it shouldn't be anywhere near 9 o'clock by the time we're done. Okay, so... Chapter 20. Wait, did I finish? Let me see this on chapter 19. Okay, yes. I'm here. I'm in the right place. Chapter 19, I said, was like reading Leviticus. Well, chapter 20 jumps right back into this narrative. Okay? So, verse 1 is the account of the death of Miriam. A simple statement about the then the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And that's the end of that discussion. Okay? Uh, and then in the very next verse, so we just had this, this tragedy of Miriam dying, 
So the very next verse, the people again grumble for water. So let's look at verses 2 through 5 of 20. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. And that's verse 5. Okay. So. This is 38 years later. Well, whether this is, this is 38 years, or I, I didn't check that. I know we're going to get to that further in. But if they're in the, at the wilderness of Zin... And, and you can go back and check it. But I didn't check it. I appreciate you saying it. So that's a good, that's a good point to say as well. They've been traveling all this time. So it's 40 years in the wilderness. And if it's, if it's year 38, yeah, they've been, they've been moving around quite some time. And, and they say, if we had only died in Egypt. And, and I have to say as, as well, what do they talk about there? They say the... Um, the figs and the pomegranates and the, I've lost this, two to five. Uh, where do we see, what did, they, what did they say at the end of it? A place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. So where did they see all of that? In Egypt. So they're going back to Egypt which was this wonderful place that they were in. It was just life was grand back in Egypt. And look what God's done. He's brought us into this wilderness that we're stuck in for 40 years because we didn't trust him to bring us into the promised land. I'm getting hard on them, but we'll explain a little bit more how we can actually relate to them as well. So, and here it is. It's the desert. They're in the desert. It's hot, it's dusty, and miserable. Anybody's patience would wear thin. Your, your patience level would go down, no doubt. So we have to remember that. And this is, whether it's year 38 or wherever it is, it's more than a few days, and they're stuck in this wilderness. Okay, so this was not an easy situation that they're in, but God did continue to provide for all their needs, the whole time he's provided for them. Also, it seems that it's becoming more and more real that they will, in fact, die in the wilderness. They know it, he said it, but you gotta, you got to wonder, put yourself in their position. They're, they're trying to get somewhere, and, but they are going to die. They're not going to enter in. So certainly their hope has been strained. So this is not the, by the way, this is not the first time, as you all know, they complained about water. And we have a similar uh, scenario earlier in Exodus, uh, chapter 17. Of course, this is early in their wanderings. 
chapter 17 of Exodus, verses 1 through 7. In that account, Moses was told to strike the rock in verse 6. He says in Exodus 17, 6, Behold, I will stand before thee. This is God talking to Moses. I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So, and it isn't as if out of 40 years that Moses is going around striking rocks all the time, so it's a habit. So you need to understand, yeah, it may have happened before, but this isn't giving any excuse for Moses and his actions. Okay? Uh, so, the, so the time, uh, th- this time he's told to speak to the rock, and it will bring, bring water. So let's skip and read verses 7 through 11. Chapter 27 through 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. So Moses struck the rock not just once, but twice. And he says, shall we bring forth water out of this rock? Well, who really was bringing the water out of the rock? God bringing it out. So God becomes angry, and we can continue right into verse 12, and let's see what See what comes of this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So to hollow me, in other words, Moses was taking credit. He said we, so that could include God. There's two of them standing there, him and Aaron. And we could have also included God, but he's taking credit for it. So no, he didn't hollow God in that process. So God rebukes Moses and Aaron and says they did not believe him and did not treat him as holy. Because they did not obey him or his word, God keeps them from entering the promised land because of their disobedience. Let's consider Aaron in this sentencing by God. Because Aaron was there. Who struck the rock? Moses. So, but what about Aaron? Well, Aaron has never been the guy. Right? He, he always seems to be the sidekick character. Right? Aaron's always there. He's the sidekick. So he's just the yes man for Miriam when she rebelled. Remember that? Okay. Uh, he said 
He only did what the people asked and out popped this calf, right? It wasn't him, it was all them. So he's kind of just taking his lead from the people. So he always tried to deflect himself from responsibility. So even so, God did hold him accountable. Now we need to consider that when we are just following the crowd. Okay? So it isn't just the guy out front. It's the whole gang that's following behind. Whether you're the second in command or whether you're way back in the crowd. So God still holds us accountable. So do we strike the rock when we should speak? Do we ever react? Do we, do we act like that royal priesthood that we're supposed to act like? Do we, uh, we, well, we don't get to choose what's a big deal. When God says to do it this way, that's how it should be done. Right? This is the way he says. This is what we don't say, okay, well, that's a minor item. This is a more important item. These will do. This we can kind of change it around a little bit. Okay? So this is a this is something important for us that the outcome here for Aaron was his life, and he was not able to go into the promised land because he did this and God sentenced him. All right, so, so do, we, do we act, well, excuse me, do we react or do we respond, I think is the difference there. Moses, uh, just like the people reacted, uh, he, he reacted instead of responding logically. He should have said, no, I'm frustrated, I'm upset, etc., but this is what God told me to do, and this is the way I'm going to do it, to honor God. Okay. So, uh, Paul drew on this account of the water from the rock for Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it reads, And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that, fl- that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Christ was the rock. They would not have lived without that water, just as Jesus is our living water. So this account is also mentioned in Psalms, if you're taking notes, Psalms 95, verses 8 through 11. And now let's go ahead and skip down to verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up, out of Egypt, now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand 
or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So um, while so here they are in, in Kadesh, Moses sends the messengers to Edom. Uh, they asked they asked to be allowed to travel through Edom. I mentioned this earlier at the beginning of class, where their location. So so they're again they're down at the which would be the southwest of Canaan. Basically kind of if they could get through Edom, they'd be right up into Canaan. Uh, and they say that they will stay on the path and they'll make no impact because they don't want to walk all the way around Edom to go to Canaan, obviously. So Moses refers to Edom as a brother of Israel. Does anybody know why that is? Had to do with Esau. Who were the Edomites? They were the descendants of Esau. Uh, that's uh, that's found in Genesis chapter 36, verses 1 through 43. So they're kindred, they're family. So Edom says, no, not unlike brothers do, uh, just to say no sometimes, but anyway. So Israel has to go all the way around. Israel has a serious reputation amongst all of these nations that they're around. Uh the other nations know that Egypt paid them to leave, basically, and that they've basically left a path of destruction behind them, right? Uh, now Israel wants to just walk through their land, and Edom says, I don't think so. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and we'll, we'll read the rest of that. So, in verse, we're at verse uh, 18, I believe. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them, with many men and with a strong hand, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. And now we come to the last part of our study, and this is verses 22 through 29. And we'll go ahead and just go right into that reading. Now the children of Israel... The whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor, by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for, here, uh, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Mirabah. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son, for Aaron shall be gathered. Uh, for Aaron shall be gathered there, gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there 
on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. Okay, now let's just review that as we, before we close the class. So we have the account of the death of Aaron. So God tells him to go up into the mountain. He's stripped of his garments, and the mantle is passed from him to his son Eliezer. So then they mourn for Aaron for 30 days. Now, this account, this particular portion of this chapter is a fast forward. There's many years are skipped to this point, and how we know that is in, and we, uh, I'm not even sure if this chapter is in our class coming forward, but in chapter 33 of Numbers, so a little bit beyond where we're at tonight, there's a recounting of their traveling in the wilderness. And in chapter 33, verse 38, we read that Aaron died on the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year. So we're talking right near the end of their traveling, okay? So it also says, uh, it also says that um, in chapter 39, it says, excuse me, in chapter 33, verse 39, we also read that Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. So it was, again, it was at the end of their wanderings. So is there any questions before we conclude? Any comments? So, uh, so God has given us a promise to be saved. We must have faith, and he'll take care of us. He promises. When we murmur, we dishonor him, right? And we reject the holiness of God. And when we don't have faith, we will be sure to fail. Remember that. We have to have faith, otherwise we're, we're bound to fail. So he wants us to believe and obey, but we, mu- but we must know his will to be faithful and follow his will. So that is the class for the night. So I'll go ahead and have a prayer. We'll say a prayer, and then we'll be dismissed.